0: It's good to be here today. It's good to be part of the body of Christ, or at least uh, at least part of the body of Christ. I know that the entire body is made up of more than than just us, than we are, but but at least we represent a portion of it. I don't believe that this is all of the body of Christ sitting in these pews right here. For that, that we are, I'm thankful. If you have your Bibles with you today, please turn to the book of Ephesians. I want to pick up where we left off in uh, in chapter 4. And continue teaching about the necessities of the unity of the church. If you have it open, let's, uh, let's read verses 1 through 6. And then uh, we'll start through them. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body... One spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one mighty one and father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Those are the first six verses. In my last sermon, we covered verses one through three and how it pertains to the humble walk of the Christian life. I explained in that sermon that there are certain criteria from a biblical standpoint that must be met in order to fulfill our Christian duty. We talked about what it meant to walk worthy of the calling that we've received. I expressed last time that the call we have received is a call of works, but not obtaining to the law in the sense of physical attributes, but moreover, a calling to a spiritual obedience, in the sense of attitude and the way that we handle ourselves through the direction of the Holy Spirit that guides us. In the last message, we talked about love and gentleness. We talked about accepting others for who they are and what they are. But we also talked about humility. And so today, I kind of want to center in on that attribute of the Christian character. And lead you from here with that in mind through the next segment of verses, verses three through 4 through 6. I don't know if humility, I don't know why it sticks with me, unless it's for the simple reason that it's something that I struggle with. I have a hard time with it. Or because it's a character, character flaw that probably most of us in here, have some sense of a problem with. But either way, I believe it's a hurdle that we all must jump in order that the unity of the church should come to fruition. See, this is the goal here for Paul. I believe Paul's goal is to get through to the reader's mind that in order for, in order for Christ to be manifest, the body has to become one. As long as we're separated, then the body will never form, and Christ can never be made known by the church. That's our job as a church is to manifest the body of Christ. And I personally believe the reason that there's a diversity in the church is because of pride, and therefore a lack of humility. And I'm not talking about just this church here. I'm talking about the church worldwide. I believe that there's a diversity within the body of Christ simply because of pride, or at least partly because of pride. See, because we're made up of several parts representing the body, it's not until we mutually minister to one another that Christ can rightly be made manifest in the world. See, where there's discord in the church, there will be disharmony. And where there's disharmony, there will be dysfunction. And that dysfunction cripples the body of Christ. It truly does. Yahweh's goal is that the church doesn't function as every other human institution like we talked about last time. I talked about firemen, being a fireman and how that's some sort of human institution, but it takes certain people in certain places. The military would be one. You can name off many organizations that have different parts in and all those parts have to work together in order for an institution to work. But this is different. This is not a physical institution made of man necessarily, but a spiritual institution that is put together by Yahweh. That's why Paul says in verse 3 that he urges us to diligently keep the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. This is nothing new, by the way. Paul is just asking us to be what Yeshua has already prayed for us to be. And John chapter 17, in John chapter 17 and verse 21, Yeshua prays, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. See, folks, as long as we're separate or having discord among us, we will never give the accurate testimony of Christ. We can never depict him as perfect as long as we're separated and segregated throughout the body. So the question is then, how do we become unified so that we justify the body of Christ? So that in turn, when someone sees the church, they don't see a dysfunctional, fractioned organization, but rather a living organism that lives, breathes, and functions as one. If you'd like a new definition for oneness, that's it. Unity amongst believers. That's true oneness. I believe the biggest problem we have in unity is that we have baggage. And not only do we have baggage, most all of us are proud of it. Whether it be traditions, or doctrines, or whatever it is, we all have baggage, and we stick to it. We stick to our guns, we don't want anybody messing with the baggage that we, that we bring. And this creates major problems within the church. Now, while I'm saying this, don't assume that I'm talking to the man that's sitting across the aisle from you. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me. I'm speaking to every person in here. Because of the lack of lowliness lowliness or humility within us, we can't possibly reach the fullness of the manifestation of Christ. I know we talked about this in the last sermon, but just to reiterate it a little bit, James says in chapter 4 and verse 10, Humble yourselves before Yahweh, and he will exalt you. We don't have to exalt ourselves. Jeremiah says in chapter 9 and verses 23 and verse 24, it says, this is what Yahweh says, The wise must not boast in his wisdom. The mighty must not boast in his might. The rich must not boast in his riches. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am Yahweh, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. Folks, we're not to boast in anything. Humility, humility, humility. And I think this is where we all struggle some. And maybe it's just me, but I believe everybody struggles with humility. Whether it be pride in doctrine, pride in status, pride in wealth, pride in knowledge, or whatever else be the case, we probably all struggle with pride in something. And folks, humility is the only thing that will allow us to be gentle or meek. Being humble doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't mean you're not right in your beliefs or wrong about something necessarily. It just means that you have control over the knowledge or the power that you have. Being humble or meek is just a willingness to submit without rebellion and retaliation for the good of the other man. It's nothing more than power under control. Just because you're meek, just because you're humble, doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't make you a sissy. It just means that you can control that arrogant attitude that you have. And it's so important because where there's meekness and humility amongst believers, there can and most likely will be unity. If we can consider someone else as more important than ourselves, then we can unite. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This is the goal, guys. Making yourself nothing so that someone else may be something. And brothers and sisters, it will not always be this way. James says if we will humble ourselves, then Yahweh will exalt us. Let Yahweh do the exalting. Let's not exalt ourselves. Is that not the case for the body of Christ? Will we not be exalted? We've just finished the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and Paul has done nothing but lift us up and tell us how we will be. When the kingdom comes, we are already have in, inherited the, the kingdom. We've been blessed over and over and over again. So one day we will be exalted. Paul tells us all about it. But for now, for here, we should be seeking unity amongst others in the the body. And listen, folks, I'm not talking about getting run over. I'll accept whatever comes until the holiness of Yahweh is defiled, and then I'll stand. All I'm saying is this. I'm not concerned with what happens to me or what somebody says about me because humility and meekness doesn't stand up for itself, but rather for the cause of righteousness. It doesn't have to stand up for you. This doesn't make you a coward. It makes you a saint. That's a quality of the saint. Humility is a quality of a saint. Humility and meekness. That's the right step. This is a step that we should take. Now, if we can master humility and meekness or gentleness, what will that lead to? Where does that go? Patiently accepting one another in love? Possibly. That's what Paul mentions next. Long-suffering. The word patiently accepting or long-suffering here comes from the Greek word Macrothumia, And it means to literally, to be long-tempered, to not get upset. Folks, this is what we need to be. This is what we should be. This same word is used of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 15. It says that after waiting patiently, the word macrothumia there, Abraham obtained the promise. Folks, Abraham waited a hundred years. He was a hundred years old when he obtained the promise. You think that's patient enough? He was given a promise and was long-suffering in order to obtain it. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 says, He did not waver in unbelief at Yahweh's promise, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to the Almighty because he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Do you hear that? Abraham did not waver in unbelief of the promise, but was patient because he knew what Yahweh promised, he was also able to fulfill. See, Abraham was long-suffering. He was patiently accepting of everything that came his way. He didn't waver because of his faith in Yahweh's promises. And what about Noah? Noah built an ark for 120 years, guys. 120 years for crying out loud. He was probably the laughing stock of everybody around him. I can hear him saying now, why do you need a boat, Noah? What do you mean, rain, Noah? Noah? You've got to be the craziest person in the world to be building a boat. What is a boat? Noah didn't waver. He kept stacking his wood, kept building his boat. And one day the rain came. He had faith in Yahweh. Yahweh said, build a boat. Noah built a boat. He had faith. Yahweh said, it's going to rain. Build a boat, Noah. Build a boat. It saved Noah's life. It saved a populace of people because Noah was faithful. He believed Yahweh and his promises. And what about Moses? Oh, the fear that must have been upon him. Oh, the fear that must have been upon him. Who in here would stand before Pharaoh in a foreign land and chance their life? You might say that you would, but I would venture to say that nobody in here would. I would say that you don't have the guts. I don't have them. I I know that I wouldn't. I don't believe that you would walk up to a king or a Pharaoh that can and would cut your head off for speaking in his presence and tell him to let a myriad of people go. I don't believe that you would do that. Not without the backing of Yahweh. But Moses did. Abraham did. Noah did. They were were strong. They had great, great faith. They believed Yahweh. They believed Yahweh. And they waited patiently, awaiting a great reward. And they were all unwavering in their faith. Because they believed in Yahweh's promise and His word. And they will receive their reward too. James says in chapter 5 and verse 10, speaking of waiting on Yahweh. Brothers, take the prophets. This is his quote. Brothers, take the prophets of who spoke in Yahweh's name as an example of suffering and patience. Examine the prophets. All of them suffered. Ezekiel suffered. Isaiah suffered. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he cried all the time. Yahweh told Jeremiah, he says, go and talk to Israel and they were not going to listen to you. Just go talk to them. I want you to tell them what I want you to tell them. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be hauled off into Babylon. But you go on, Jeremiah, you tell them anyway. He weeped and cried for the for the people of Israel. And they didn't listen to him, but still, he dealt with it. Long-suffering. 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 He was long-suffering, waiting on Yahweh's promises. See, we all have to be long-suffering. And not just with circumstances. Not just with circumstances. Moses was long-suffering with not only circumstances, but people also Abraham was long suffering with circumstances. Noah was long suffering with circumstances. But we have to be long suffering with people. Paul says, patiently accepting one another in love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, the same word is used, Macrothumia. It says, And we exhort you, brothers, to warn those who are lazy, to comfort the discouraged, to help the weak, to be patient. Macrothumia with everyone we have to be patient that's not easy to do folks when someone doesn't look like we want them to or maybe they don't agree with our doctrine or whatever it is that's disagreeable with us we want to straighten them out we want to get in their face we want to tell them the truth we want to make them see what we see we want them to hear it from us we want them to be be right but we want them to be right according to what we think
1: the only reason we want
0: to argue is because of pride folks that's the only reason that you want to argue. That's the only reason that you want to debate is because you want somebody to understand that you're right. That's the only reason for an argument. That's the only reason for a debate. Even if you're trying to tell somebody something, even if you really want them to see it, pride's what drives it. You can tell somebody and just leave them alone. It's easy. If I see something in the Scriptures and I walk up to Elijah and I say, Elijah, this, check this out. This is what I found in the Scriptures. This is what I think it means. Elijah may say, well, that's great. And that's where it needs to be left at. Because if he says, no, that ain't the way I see it. Let me show you right here. This, this right here. That's pride. The only reason he would do that, is, the only reason he wants to argue with me is so that I would see it his way, or vice versa, the only reason I would force it on him is so that he would see it my way. It's all pride. Because it matters if you're right or not. To you, it matters if you're right or not. If Yahweh's in view, though, if, if it's important that Yahweh is in view, and it's not yourself, then it won't matter if someone disagrees with your doctrine or not. We need to defend the righteousness of Yahweh, and we shouldn't mind suffering a little bit for it by being humble and long-suffering. Brothers and sisters, this is the fate of the church. If we're going to exist and manifest manifest Christ's body, then we have to be humble. We have to be meek. We have to be long-suffering and patiently accepting of others. This is the most powerful testimony that the church has. Folks, we don't need methods to witness to someone. If we get patience with others down pat and humility down pat, these are the only characteristics we'll need. If we possess these characteristics, our nature alone will be witness enough to share the gospel. Just the way we are. Just the way we are. You, could, you ought to be able to look at a saint and say, man, he's got something different. He's somebody different. I've heard a story and I've read, a, read an article uh, today actually. They said a man went to Africa, and he was a missionary okay, over in Africa. And he wanted to witness to the Africans, and they never listened to anything he said. And But he just kept laboring for them. He kept helping them. He kept being nice to them. He kept being kind to them and all that kind of stuff. Finally, there was a reporter that would go along to interview the man who has been in Africa, being a missionary for so many years. He sees the guy laboring all the time for the Africans, and he's sharing the gospel with them in action, but he's never speaking. The guy that was sent to interview him said he was saved simply by watching his actions. The gospel was shared to him that he never even knew simply by watching the man work, minister to everybody else. And he said he never spoke about the gospel message. He said all of it was done with his actions. Now that's paraphrased, and you could read the article and what have you, but in our lives we do enough, we're written epistles And we can be written epistles for the bad, or we can be written epistles for the good. It works both ways, but we can do it in humility. But if we don't uh, possess these characteristics, the body of Christ doesn't function properly, and will never shine bright enough to light up even a closet, much less a city. Oh, if the world could see a clear picture of Christ manifest through the body. How great would it be if the world could see a meek, humble, long-suffering church, the gospel message would saturate the universe. But I'm afraid most of the time instead of that humble meek body of Christ people see a dogmatic community of self-exalted hypocrites that think they have it all. And if you're not just like them you can't fit in. Oh if we could just be selfless. Oh if we could just love. No matter what someone says or how someone feels about us oh if we could just love in spite of the hardship. What kind of church would we be? See saints this is What the Holy Spirit produces in us, you can't muster this up on your own. You can't muster this up on your own. You'll have to yield to the Holy Spirit in order for this to be manifest in you. Yahweh wants to produce in you humility, which leads to meekness, which leads to long-suffering, which leads to a forbearing kind of love so that you can seek the enemy's highest good no matter what it costs you. Can we do that? Can we yield to the Holy Spirit and trust Yahweh no matter what the cost? Can we do that and become one so that the body can manifest Christ? Can we do that just in here? Can we just do that in here so that when somebody sees us, they say they're unified. They're all meek. They're all humble. They're all loving. They're all kind. They're all gentle. That's the body of Christ. That's a part of the body of Christ. We're just a small portion of it. If we can't get it together in here, how in the world are we going to get it together out here? I think the unity has already been comprised All we have to do is not destroy it. Verse 3 of Ephesians in chapter 4 says that we are to keep the unity of the Spirit with a peace that binds us. That means we already have it in us. We just have to keep it. He's already made us one. We just have to maintain that unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 13 says we are all parts of one body. We are baptized by one Spirit into one body. Romans 8 and verse 9 says, The spirit of Elohim lives in us already. Folks, all we have to do is maintain what we already have. I would mentioned last time that I taught. Being a saint is just actually becoming what you already are. Starting to live out what Yahweh's already made you. And not destroy the spiritual nature that, that He given us. And the key to all this, to all that, is humility. We have to make ourselves have the attitude of Christ. Folks, as long as self is at the forefront, we will always be working against the intentions of Yahweh and against His church. So unity of the body by humility and patience with one another is Paul's message here. And it's the way we're to walk, worthy of our calling. And then Paul goes on into verses 4 through 6, and he gives us the reason we need to be humble and patient and the reasons behind the calling. I want to read that one more time. And then I want to make seven short points to you. Verses 4 through 6 say this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one almighty and father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. (coughs) Point one, verse four. There is one body, folks. There is no need in segregation. The church is not divided. They are not Pentecostals. They are not Baptists. They are not Methodists. They are not Wesleyans. They are not Lutherans. They are not Church of Christ. No, no, no. There are just saints. You won't find any of those people in the scriptures. They're not there. They're just not in there. They're saints. They're all saints. It doesn't matter which group you congregate with, or which church you go to, or which sidewalk you walk down to get to. It doesn't make you any different. Saints are saints. Saints are saints. There is one church. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither man nor woman, neither slave nor free. There is one saint. One church, one body, which Christ is the head of. Point two, we're still in verse four. There is only one spirit. That is the spirit of Yahweh, which has indwelt every one of us the same. It has sealed us for the day of redemption and has strengthened our inner man to walk according to Yahweh's calling. The Holy Spirit that lives within me is no different than the Holy Spirit that lives within my wife. And Paul says, just as we are all one body and are all filled with all the same spirit, we also are all called to one hope of our calling. And that's point three. The hope that we have in our hope, the hope that we have is our hope in our Lord. That on the last day, at the sound of the last trump, we will be resurrected to eternal life. That's our hope. To a glorified state where all the sins are washed away and we are all made whole for the communion with the Lord and our Almighty for eternity. That's our hope. That's the hope of our calling. Point four, getting into verse five here. There is one Lord. The Lord in view here is our Lord, Yeshua, our Messiah. He is the one Lord, and our hope rests in him. He is the unblemished Lamb, the propitiation of sins. And he is perfect in every way. He was flawless. He lived a sinless life. And that should be the example for all of us saints. To walk in humility as he did. And serve others. And serve the Father as he did. He was a servant. He was a servant. There are not two lords that we can put our hope in. People, I hope you hear me. There are not two lords that we can put our hope in. Just one. If we have any chance at salvation, then we must... All hope in the same way. By faith in the same risen Lord, Yeshua our Messiah, the Son of Almighty Yahweh. Point five, we're still in verse five. There is one faith. The faith that we all share is the faith in the content of the revealed word of Yahweh. That's the common faith that we all have. This is the faith that Jude says that we were to contend for, that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Somebody might say, well, there's a lot of faiths out there. And they would be right. There are a lot of faiths out there. But there's only one that leads to salvation, at least in the book that I read. And that's the faith in Yeshua the Messiah, the only begotten Son of Yahweh. One Lord, one faith, and then. Point six, one baptism. Now, some people might think this is a spiritual baptism in context here. Just for the sake of me teaching this... uh, Sermon in humility. uh, I'm going to say that's fine if you think that. I don't agree. (laughs) I don't agree. I think the spiritual baptism has already taken place at the time we believed when he heard the gospel message. When we heard the gospel message according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when we believed the gospel message. The spiritual baptism has already taken place, I believe. That's when we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So I believe the baptism here is in reference to a baptism, and to Yeshua. See, baptism is an absolute essential part of the Christian faith. It was then, and it still is today. It wasn't essential for regeneration, because regeneration had already taken place. However, it is essential in the express part of faith. When you believe in the one Lord, then you're baptized into that one Lord. If you remember, Paul traveled through Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And he found some men, and he asked them if they received the Holy Spirit when they believed. And they said, no, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So we asked them, well, then with what baptism were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. So Paul tells them John's baptism was a baptism unto repentance, telling people to believe on the one who would come after him, after John. And that's who? That's Yeshua, right? And on hearing this, they were baptized and the name of Yeshua baptized was extremely, baptism was extremely important. But you have to remember, it's only one baptism. That's my point here today. However you see baptism, it's only one baptism. And it's the same baptism for all, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And then Paul goes into verse 6, which is my seventh point. One Elohim and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. This is in reference to Father Yahweh. Verse 5 was about Yeshua the Son, and verse 6 is about Yahweh the Father. If there was only one of everything else, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, how many mighty ones do you think there is? There's one. One mighty one. Just one. Just one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our mighty one, Yahweh is one. Amen. All through the Old Testament and New Testament alike, Yahweh is one. Not two, not three, just one. He is above all, including the angels and the heavenly host. He's above everything. He is above His only begotten Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Everything will be subject to the Son except for whom? The Yahweh, yeah. the Father. That's the one that's not subject to Him. For the one who made the Son, all that he is. Yahweh was that. He is above all things, but he, but he is also through all and in all. He is in everything you see. His majesty is manifest in all his creation. You can see it. In all his works, in, in all he allows, all he does not allow. Yahweh is sovereign. He is single. There's not two of them. And also he is seen through the great and grandiose plans that he presents. This whole Bible is Yahweh's plans. The whole Bible. In every aspect of life, you can see the goodness of Yahweh if you look for it. Yahweh is one mighty one. And he is one father of all. So in closing, Paul has painted a picture here of unity within the body. He has urged us to walk according to our calling. He urges us also to do it with humility, with gentleness, with long-suffering, with love and patience for others. While keeping the unity of the spirit. Folks, it is imperative that the church goes forward in this manner. And unity is imperative. If we fail to do so, the church will fall completely apart. I believe that the church has been falling completely apart. Since we understand the church, I think it's con- it's just constantly crumbling, breaking off into segments and fragmentations and before it will completely be disposed. And I don't, I don't guess that will ever take place. I believe you always call us home before then. But I believe that we are degenerative. We are falling apart. We're not building together. The more we segregate, the more we separate, the worse it gets. The worse it gets. So as we deal with other saints on a daily basis, do it with these attributes in mind. And always be mindful that the faith that we all have is one faith. We are all part of one body. We are indwelled with one spirit. We are called to one hope. We serve and follow one Lord. We are baptized into our Lord in one baptism. And all of this is made possible because of the one, mighty one, and Father that we all share. And that's Yahweh. There are not many true faiths. There's just one. Many faiths, but not not but one true faith. And we are all united in that one faith if we are Yahweh's children. Let's be mindful of that. Serving His church as one, the way that He intended for His church to be served in. And let's pray. Yahweh, Father, I thank You for this day and I thank You for the message. And Father, I, I just uh, I thank You for the understanding that I have. Father, I pray that You You're glorified in us. Father, I pray that we would we would grow together in unity, all of us, not just in here, but but. Um, church in general father i pray that we would accept one another in love and that father we could be meek and we could be humble when we speak to somebody that we could uh, we could understand what somebody else understands without putting up walls and hedges and things that separate the body father i just pray that you would unite us as your church so that you can fill this church with the holy spirit Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all that you've done for us. Father, I just pray that you bless us and keep us for the next week until we get back. Father, we thank you for a new year. We we lift you up for that, another another year to serve you. Father, I just pray that you're glorified in our actions. And so, Father, I'm thankful for your son, your only begotten son. We give him praise today, give you praise for him. And uh, we're so thankful for the sacrifice and the, that was made for us on behalf of us. Father, we just lift you up for that. And... and uh, Glorify you today. Father, we ask all these things in his holy name. We ask this. Amen.